This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. Digital sales rooms. So this is something we've heard talked about by analyst groups like Gartner, by marketing leaders, and by sales leaders kind of everywhere. This new way to bring information to buyers is gaining a ton of traction in the B2B space. With the goal of simplifying the way buyers and sellers collaborate, digital sales rooms are, are something new you may want to consider if you're trying to create a better, more unique, and maybe even bespoke buying experience for your prospects. But what are digital sales rooms really? Okay. And how can maybe go to market teams use them to impact win rates? Exploring this with me today is Ms. Cece Lee, Chief Marketing Officer at Enable Us. Cece, thank you for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you for having me here today, Ryan. Oh, it's a pleasure. All right. Before we get into this, we have a, a tradition here at um, Sales Intelligence Weekly, and that is tell us about you. We need to get to, nobody cares about me. Everybody knows me. The listeners don't care about me. They care about you. So tell us about who is this Cece? Who is the enigma that is you? Tell us uh, about you. <laughs> I don't think I'm an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been doing marketing for over 20 years, mainly in the tech B2B SaaS space. And so um, really being able to understand and love technology is at my core professionally. I think personally, there's a lot of things about me <laughs> that we chatted about earlier. Um, but I think what how I like to describe myself, if you were to see any of my social profiles is, I am a marketing professional with Enable Us who loves the Red Sox, loves the 49ers, don't go there, and <laughs> is a person who loves to read. And you can occasionally find me on the trails here in Sacramento going on for a run. Okay, that so, encapsulates me. Okay, okay, but we got to peel that onion a little bit. I mean, how did you get to the Bosox and the 49ers? What, um, what in the world? Why not the Giants? What happened? So I'm a football fan first, and I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, and funny enough, my, my family, my parents were and still are Cowboys fans. Really? Okay. But... I happened to see the Niners play a game in my childhood. I think, I can't remember if it was Bengals or Miami. It was one of those games. And I just became a lifelong Niner fan at that point. Now, I'm not necessarily a baseball fan, but 2003, what happened in 2003, Red Sox make it to the playoffs. And that excitement and big poppy and just coming back against the Yankees. How could you not fall in love with the Red Sox? Fair. And since I wasn't a baseball fan, I adopted the Red Sox as my team. So I want to, I want to ask about a question about Mr. Irrelevant, right? So relevant, uh, Mr. Relevant. Okay. Tell me, <laughs> tell me more because uh, selected last mm -hmm. right? drafted last dead yeah. last. Yes. And then comes on like a crazy person. Uh, mm -hmm. Purdy comes in as a quarterback for the Niners and just wrecks, just wrecks everyone in front of him. It was amazing, frankly. What are your thoughts on 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 him? What's the future? Well, I mean, it, he had such a Cinderella story going on, and it's unfortunate that pretty much what second, third play, he he 
tears his, uh, was it the MCL or whatever they called it, an elbow. Um, it's a hard one to say because I think what Purdy brought was a maturity that no one was expecting of someone. Mm. Uh, but when you look back at his college career, he had started four years. So he had more experience starting than a lot of new NFL quarterbacks had. I think that was the first thing. I think the second thing, because he had that pocket presence, which sometimes a lot of running quarterbacks, if you think of Trey Lance and before him, oh, shoot, Kaepernick. Colin, yeah. Yeah, they will run first before they can become more comfortable in the pocket. I think that was one thing. And then when you compare it against Garoppolo, I think the arm strength and the accuracy was something that he, that Purdy brought that sometimes Garoppolo had difficulty having was the vision and the and being able to go down his progressions. So I'm pretty excited by Purdy, but we'll have to see. Um, I mean, thank God he doesn't have to do Tommy John surgery. Right, yeah. So we'll see in training camp what happens. I think it it is the one question mark that um, we have. And it's unfortunate that we went through four quarterbacks well, this year because, yeah, I, I think we had an opportunity. Um, if if the GM Lynch is listening, please get an O-line. quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Trent yeah. Williams can't do it all by him lonesome. <laughs> totally. I love that call out. And by the way, the foundation of any good, good quarterback is that offensive line. So um, love that you're a Niners fan and we can make a whole episode about <laughs> talking about what the future holds for them, but we won't. We'll come on back here. Tell me more about Enable Us. We've heard a little bit about you. Tell me about Enable Us. Well, so Enable Us was a company that I actually first encountered as a customer. So I was impressed with what they were doing with the platform and really bringing together, uh, I mean, I think a lot of folks understand sales enablement, helping to um, get sales up to speed so that they can sell faster, more quickly and, and drive revenue. What I think I liked about Enable Us that I hadn't seen with a lot of companies is the idea of the digital sales rooms for buyer enablement and being able to marry the two so you can deliver B2B buying experiences that could delight uh, your prospects. And so when I became more and more impressed with not only the product, but just the company and the pace of innovation that they were doing that I joined the company last year. And so really what we're trying to do is reimagine the B2B buying experience for your sellers, your buyers, and then your long-term customers. Because right now that customer journey, that buyer's journey is a slightly broken when you think about all the things that have happened since the pandemic. So you used a word buyer enablement, not seller enablement. Why buyer enablement, not seller? Well, we, we look at both seller and buyer enablement, but I think a lot of the industry has focused on seller enablement. Almost entirely, right? Yeah, it's been 100% entirely. Can I train the seller? Can I coach the seller? Can I make sure the processes are optimized? That doesn't translate into delivering an experience that has the buyer at its center. Mm. And so that was something that we were really considering. How many times have you had been on a call with a vendor and you're like, okay, which email was that attachment? In? Totally. <laughs> We've all done it. So that was one unique thing of being able to think what that experience has been and it's painful. Can I bring everything in a central place that allows my buyer, my champion to really learn more about me faster, 
to be able to communicate that to their stakeholders and decision makers and ensure that we're keeping the conversation moving forward versus constantly always going backwards to recover information that we may have covered weeks ago. And, and that just stalls the process for both sides. So really thinking about what our prospect, our key champion and their decision makers need is really what we're bringing. And that digital sales room happens to be that vehicle of that collaboration between a seller and buyer now. Okay. So let's go. I, I, I'm excited <laughs> for this because there, there's a lot to unpack. So let's go. Yeah. So digital sales rooms are, they're a bit newer, right? And, and, and maybe unfamiliar to some of uh, go-to-market teams and maybe some of our listeners as well. Let's start off by defining this. What is a digital sales room? At its core, digital sales room is a single online location, like a microsite, where you're sharing information that's pertinent to the buyer, but is also relevant to them. So for example, you might be putting up presentation, demos, case studies, and depending how far you progress in that process, you can also put in contracts or NDAs. And when you close the deal, it doesn't end there. Now you can switch to implementation and, and have customer success comes in. So it really becomes that central location for the seller and the buyer to come together throughout the lifetime of that conversation and collaboration. Okay. So um, you, you're kind of ruining the the old way of doing things with like spreadsheets and emails that get mm -hmm. lost. Uh, you, you're really going to make some people that are hard, you know, holding on to the old ways of doing things that love pain, it, you're, you're upending their apple cart. So I, yeah. I, I want to go a little bit deeper here. Yeah. So, so you talked about the process uh, of collaboration and effort between the sale, the seller and the buyer, what kind of information is displayed in the sales room? Or let's talk about sales Intel. How yeah. would I, how would I employ this from a sales Intel perspective to help my buyer? So that's a great question. And here's the main pain point. We talked about the buyer needing to go through emails to find the information you sent, right? Let's put ourselves in that sales reps. I've had a conversation with you. I've sent you the follow-up email. It's a black hole. Yeah, totally gone. Gone. Right? Maybe I can see if you opened it or clicked it, but that may not tell me, did you read it? Did you forward it? Of the five attachments, which ones did you read? With the digital sales room, I can get all that information out. So I can not only see when you enter the room and look at the content, but I can now see which content did you review? Did you watch the video? How far did you get into the video? How much time did you spend on it? If I noticed that you spent 30 minutes on my pricing sheet, cool. What does that tell me? You're really, really invested. If I see you share it to three people, and because we have data enrichment, I know that th those three people is your CFO, your VP of sales, and maybe a uh, VP of marketing. I'm like, oh, now I know they're part of your buying committee. I know who I need to think about as I now start talking to you and making sure I give you the materials to have those conversations with your co-buyers on the committee so you can get them bought in. So that level of intelligence goes from send email, I don't know anything to now I can see which of my prospects that I'm working with are truly interested in what we're talking about. And that shifts my, the, the way I work as a salesperson. And I can now work on those top priority prospects. Whereas before, if you're working 40 prospects, you had to do the equal amount of work across all 40. 
So it really gives sellers not only more insights on the buyer interactions, their intent, their engagement, and as well as the buying committee, but it also helps me prioritize and forecast better as a sales rep with my sales leaders. And as a sales organization, you just have that much more ability to weight those deals that's not dependent on only a salesperson's, hey, I think they're really interested. You now have data to help support the intuition of a salesperson. I'm not going to discount that. Sales intuition is still just as important, but weighing it with data gives you that much more intelligence than that you didn't have before. So absolutely. Okay. If that's a yeah. word. Um, so, <laughs> so data um, informed intuition is the game yes. data. It used to be data is the king and your intuition was the jester, right? And everybody made fun of the jester and pointed and laughed. It's not that way anymore. People are understanding that your intuition as a human being matters. The experiences you have matter, but it needs to be informed, weighted as you put, yeah. as you put it by the data. And this is a phenomenal way to do that. So we've talked about the sales intel for the seller. Tell me a little bit about what the buyer gets out of this. I understand what the seller gets out of this. What mm -hmm. is the buyer? Why does this impact the buyer experience so much? Well, because a lot of it is that comp, not the complexity, but the way you have to think about all the information, how to share it with your stakeholders. And it's usually, and you never knew if your stakeholders were opening it. So you can share it, you, and then you can connect with the seller to say, hey, I shared it with these three people. Can you help me understand? Did they open it? And so now it does two things. The same level of intelligence the seller gets can be shared with the buyer and it and build that trust with the, between the seller and buyer because now you're on the same team. The seller can say proactively to the buyers like, hey, all that insight I get, I can share with you. And here's the information. I mean, those are things that, you know, we're, we're looking at eventually giving it to the champions to be able to access it. But there are some things that we need to think through because this is still nascent technology. So how much information can the seller get? I mean, the buyer get, but the buyer, what they get is they can share the information easily. They can work with the seller to know who's accessed it. And then three, they can formulate a strategy of how to do it. The fourth thing they also get is something called mutual action plans. Mm. Think of it as like simple project management. And if you're at a certain point in that collaboration, you can align on, hey, this is the next steps or milestones and they can be assigned. And so now you can get notifications on both the seller and the buyer. Hey, you're we're supposed to do... Um, the demo with the stakeholders, where are we? So that also gives buyers that understanding of the timeline and how that's progressing, because sometimes you can do these and it just gets out, it gets um, not out of control. Uh, you get busy with other things. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's an important initiative. So we provide those tools with the sellers and buyers as well. Um, and so, and then the other thing is just being able to communicate. So instead of having your emails in one place or trying to do Slack messages, you have that within the single location. So now you have that history. So the buyer can go back and say, did I ask this question? Or what was the answer? Did I share this attachment? It's all there for them to be able to see in one place. So that's the type of intelligence that we're giving a buyer. That's how we're enabling them. Definitely, we think there's a lot more we can do, but it's more than what has been provided to both sellers and buyers today. 
oh, it's so unique. Nothing like this really ever existed in the past. It was just a, it was relying on people to remember where stuff was buried mm -hmm. in their emails or buried in their messages or buried on their phone or wherever it was. Or if you're old school, where, where's that fax, right? So uh, it's, it's all of that stuff is done away with and you're providing a location, like a, a, a hub for people to come into to, to, to really engage in a, in a buying cycle. And in today's digital transformation um, situation where buyers are spending uh, the vast majority of their time self-educating online, this is a way of providing them a, a place um, for both the seller and the buyer to come together. If I'm following you right, seller and buyer to come together to help them make sense of the information that you're, that they're looking for to help them, you know, help inform their decision. I mean, I mean, just think of the, the different ways we're helping sales and buyers be more efficient, right? From, I think Salesforce just came out in their state of sales um, report, 80%, I think it was 80% of a salesperson's time is spent on non-selling related activity. Right. Think about that. That's a huge amount of time. And, you know, in just researching content to share, it's like 30 hours a month. So if we're able to make this process easier for them um, in the digital sales room and, and because what's great about it is it's not like it's a one and done, right? If you're creating a microsite today, most of that has been, you had to know someone who knew how to create microsites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duplicating it was like, took hours. I mean, our platform makes it easy. You can create templates. Sales can just pick a template, add a couple of things and then share. So now we're already sh saving them maybe two to three hours a week, just doing that process. And you're recovering that to focus on more revenue, you know, prospect focused activities from a buyer perspective, same thing. How much time did it take you to find that email, to surface it, to review it, edit it and send it. If you know, everything in that room is something that you want to share with your buying committee, you just add their email and you send it. It saved you time now. So it's just something that really is great in terms of bringing that engagement, interaction, and collaboration together. Mm. And that's something we need more of in today's buying environment. Let's talk more about um, marketing until we've talked about sales until let's talk about marketing. What kind of marketing until uh, happens is displayed in. in <laughs> Okay, we've talked about we've talked about the seller pain. We talked about the buyer pain. You want to know what it is as the marketing pain? Yes, lay it yeah. on me. <laughs> My background is product marketing, right? That's that's where I've come through. And product marketers, for the most part, support the sales enablement process. I've created content, and I've shared it with sales, and it's like the ether. You have no idea how sales is using it, <clears throat> right? You don't know how often they're using it how they're using it, and if buyers are even getting it. And because of this path, I've got the wealth of data within my system. So our data is not just buyer perspective, it's also the seller side. Mm. So I can now finally see which sellers are using the documents, how are they sharing it, how often are they sharing it, how are buyers engaging with it? Like, here's a classic story. Before I joined Enable Us, there was a 10 page case study and you're like, okay, let's just share the 10 page case study before I, all I would know is that it's been shared. What we got back on the data was buyers did click into it, but they didn't get past the third page. Too much, too heavy. Too, it too was many too pages. much. Yeah. So what we did when I and I think this was one of the first things I did when I joined was we cut it down. Like, okay, they're not getting past three pages. 
don't make case, case studies more than three pages. So we cut it down to three pages and now we're seeing a hundred percent completion rate on the case studies. Oh, that's awesome. That is amazing. Never, yeah. And I never used to have that data. So now I'm understanding what buyers are engaging with. I'm now having that insight finally of what content is influencing the buying process. You used to know what content, because the great part about demand gen is, you know what content's bringing people into the funnel. What we were always having gaps is what content was influencing post bringing to sales. So that's the first gap we've closed. The second gap we're closing is to most of the conversation on my communities are is how do you track seller usage of data? How do I get sales to use content? How do I know what content's being used? Now I have that insight. I can see what they're searching on. I can see if they're not finding their content. So now I know the gaps that I need to fill. And then if they're finding content and sharing it, I can see which are the most shared, which are not being shared. So that now gives me insight to like, okay, why are you not sharing? Do you not know about it? So now maybe it's a training issue or awareness issue, or they're not using it because it's irrelevant. Okay, now I know this is not the type of content I need to focus on. I need to focus on this other type of content. So that type of data, like we were saying before, before it used to be just sending surveys to sales. What do you use? Why do you use it? What do you need more? I now can leverage it, like we were saying, intuition plus data. It's qualitative feedback married with quantitative data. Mm -mm -mm. And now as a marketer, I can have more insightful conversation with my sales enablement and sales leader counterparts. Because we always get these requests. Well, we sales tells us we need ABC. So it's like, great. Let's see how they're using the existing content. And now you can have different conversations. Like, hey, I understand sales wants A, B, and C, but in the data, we already have A, B, and C. So maybe it's not creating new content there. It's let's do a refresher course. Let's do a training course. So it changes the nature of the conversation I'm having now with my sales counterparts. Okay. So awesome, amazing, like really, really valuable, uh, informing. What is the impact, right? So let's talk, let's talk about the, the impact. We've talked about data intuition, what it allows people to do. What's the impact of bringing all these sources of intelligence together into one spot? What does this do to the buying cycle, to the selling cycle? You know, what happens? I mean, the first one is accelerates it. You okay. know, we've had customers, um, and so this is on our data, anywhere from 20 to 40% faster sell cycles. That's not insignificant. That is, that's meaningful. That's meaningful. That's very meaningful. And when you think of a deal, so if your deal is just five figures, if you're able to close a deal faster, that one deal already paid for the, the, the platform, Yeah. depending on how big your company is. And, and you know, we have companies that are selling six figures and seven figure mm -hmm. deals. So if you're able to recognize revenue faster, that's one thing. The second part is the productivity. So we mentioned it, 40 deals or prospects, you were doing the same effort across 40. If you're now able to prioritize that to here's the 10 I should be working on and here's the others, then your sales should be more productive. They should be able to hopefully close more and hit their quota sooner. So that time to productivity or time to 
first closed deal is another metric that sales is looking for because that's revenue that impacts how you're going to forecast because now if you know instead of taking 60 days to close it's 45 days your calculations of how much your sales team can drive revenue completely changes mm. and then you can't you can't um um discount the productivity from a marketing perspective because and this is a stat that i absolutely hate hearing okay nine out of ten sellers don't use content because it's yeah. irrelevant it's outdated or it's just not what they're looking for and so if 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 you're spending that much time working on content the the marketers themselves are not spending the time on the content that actually delivers. So that amount of productivity loss is significant when you think of operations and efficiency. And then the other thing is, it's a little bit more intangible, but it is still quite important. It's the impression you leave on your prospects. It's a completely, it's a competitive edge for our customers because it's more professional, it's tailored, it's timely, all those things that the that you're having in a frustration in the B2B buying process has been alleviated to a certain degree so that now your prospects are seeing and experiencing something that keeps you top of mind against their competitors. So, so trust oh, yes. So so trust, you're bringing up something that you talked about at the very beginning. You used yeah. the word trust. Yeah. This is a common theme we run mm -hmm. across on this show regardless of who we're talking to trust comes up in almost every single conversation yes. let's talk about how sellers can use digital sales room to build that trust what are some best practices that they can do that they can employ well i think the first thing is really think through finding the content that's tailored to your prospect and again by having a really robust so i'm going to say this before i go down Buyer enablement cannot live alone without seller enablement, so sales enablement. So we believe they're both the same, they're um, two sides of the same coin. So when you think of being able to deliver that personalized experience to the prospect, that requires giving sellers the tools to find that content. So whether it's a room or, or a really nice search capability, so I'm able to find content based on your industry or uh, your use case, that's the first thing. The second thing is also being able to upload the content. We've just did a demo. Okay, you're using Gong, you're using Zoom. Easily bringing the content you're already creating as a salesperson into the room is just as important as well. So the first thing is content. Make sure you're delivering content that your buyer is wanting. And so that's the first part of building trust. The second part is how often have you sent an email and it's taken days for the person to respond oh every day right every, that's common occurrence every day with the digital sales room what's great about it is the moment you interact with the room or you leave me a message i as a salesperson get notified either via slack or email so now my response times are faster to you and as a as a buyer, I feel like I'm being taken care of. So that's the second way that you're developing trust. And then the third thing is just being able to bring in the other people in your organization to work with your seller. And I'm sorry, with your buyer. 
So as a seller, I can bring in my solution engineer into it. I can bring in my customer success person, depending on where you are in the stage. So again, it's no longer, oh, I have to wait to do the introductions. They can be in the room at the same time. And now you're just continually fostering that collaborative committee perspective with your prospects. So these three things are things that are helpful and are the tips that I would recommend. And just really allowing the seller to focus more and more on the prospect and to be more of a consultative person in the process now, not just someone who's just trying to send you information. So it's a really, it's changes the dynamic of the relationship now between the seller and the buyer. What I'm hearing you say is literally by you, just by utilizing a digital sales room, you are moving from a transactional seller to a more consult consultative or consultative seller just yeah. by the sheer fact that you're using a digital sales room. Well, and, and when you think about when buyers are bringing in a salesperson, it's like you're only getting maybe 5% of the buyer's time throughout this entire process. Right. So you got to make the most out of it. So a digital sales room is a tool that just helps you bring that information together much more quickly and to share it with your buyer and to be able to align with them and know what the next steps are. So in the end of the day, the digital sales room is a tool that if we're able to help our customers use effectively, then the sellers are going to look that much better with all of their prospects as well. Love that. So in our research CC at, at primary intelligence, um, we, we've been doing win-loss analysis for, you know, over 20, mm -hmm. 22 years, 23 years, you know, there are some sales behaviors that are the most, um, predictive of a win and the most predictive of, of a loss. And that mm -hmm. is the, the seller's ability to differentiate themselves from the competition and mm -hmm. understanding business needs, responsiveness, concern resolution and product knowledge. What this digital sales room does is allows you to uh, leverage this as a differentiator from the, from the competition and also make a completely bespoke or tailored sales buying experience, forget sales, buying experience mm -hmm. for your buyers. Am I understanding you correctly? Yeah, definitely. I love the word bespoke because that really says exactly what we're delivering. And I think, you know, one other thing that I forgot on best tips that allows you to be consultative, and we talked about this earlier, is because you have the insights of not just your champion and what they're doing, but everyone else in part of the committee, I can now proactively say, hey, Ryan, I noticed A, B, and C just went into the room. And it seems like your buying committee is spending a lot of time on this one area. What is it about this that's intriguing you? So instead of saying, hey, what is it? Instead of being like, what questions do you have for me? I'm more intelligent in the conversations I'm having with you and your buying committee. It, it just changes it, what you were just saying, being consultative. And that's the shift that's going to differentiate the salesperson. And like you said, the likelihood that they're going to close. Winding the conversation down here, CC, that this is, this is awesome. That this is a game changer. I'm, I'm stoked for enable us. I'm, I'm stoked for the future here of the company and where you're headed. Um, we always wind these conversations down 
to advice, like tips and tricks to start, Mm -hmm. because like anything else, this is somewhat new to the new to the to the B2B space, right? So it's been these types of rooms have been used in private equity firms and and VC firms for a long time, digital, you know, like information rooms where they just gather data, but not in the B2B seller space, right? That this is this is new. If you had one piece of advice for someone who was thinking about implementing a digital sales room, Mm -hmm. what would it be? How do they start? Well, the good news with Enable is to have free trials. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but really, my recommendation is make sure you involve your sales reps in the process. Okay, and, why? Tell me more about that. So I think, you know, let's just think of B2B purchases. Sometimes um, we will make purchases as a buyer um, and not and, and sort of think about everything we need. But what we overlook is how are the users going to actually use it? If you buy a sales tool that adds to my workload, what's going to happen? Especially when you think of sellers today, they're not going to use it. So you're not going to have adoption. So in our experience, you want to bring in your sales reps for two reasons. You want to make sure they're bought in and understand the value of this. And two, that they can play around with it and see how easy intuitive it is for them. That's really what's important. And so I think with, with in our experience in working with customers, that has been one thing we've recommended. It's one thing that demonstrates the success because once you've got your sellers bought on, I mean, we've even had a case where the sellers are pinging the decision maker. Hey, when can I, can we buy this? <laughs> like we need this. That's just demonstrates that the sellers are going to use it. They see the value and being able to incorporate them in the process just helps drive the success of that tool. And then the second part I would recommend, and I know you only asked me for one tip. But, no, I love it. Go, keep going, keep going. And then the second part is just making sure that your whomever's going to administer the platform is also part of that process because they want to understand how they need to set it up for sales, how to support sales for that. And the these platforms are very, very powerful in the type of tools you give admins. So I think those are sort of the two key people you want to keep in the loop when you're looking to think of DSRs because DSRs by themselves can't work without that seller enablement component. And a DSR can't work if the sellers don't share it. <laughs> and that requires it easy to create, easy to share, easy to evaluate. So your sellers, your end users are going to be able to tell you whether or not it's met that threshold. Great advice to help our listeners start with DSRs. Cece, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. I know we can go um, much longer, but forever. I mean, I could talk, I could talk to you for hours. This is easy. <laughs> so thank you so much, Ryan, for having me on as your guest and listeners for more from our friends at enable us and from us here at primary intelligence, check out the show notes at www.primary intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.